San Antonio Sports Star Audio Vault is brought to you by AA Best Bail Bonds. San Antonio Sports Star online at mybestbailbonds.com. Brandon Medina, Tanner Carlson, and Quinn Hudson. The Sunday Sports Grill. What's happening, San Antonio? You are listening to the Sunday Sports Grill. I'm Quinn Hudson. I'm one of your hosts. Also on our normal normal show on a normal Sunday, we would have Brandon Big Poppy Medina and my man Tanner Carlson, who is the current reigning reigning Rock the Mic champion. And they're out today. It's summertime. Their first time dads too as well. So they're going through it. But the show does not lose its muster because <laughs> in across from me is one of the original people from the Sunday Sports Grill Fantasy Gods. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from noon to 2 p.m. That is from the halftime show. Michael Jimenez, what is up? Yes, sir. Man, excited to be here, man. It's a yes, Sunday. It is good, man. The- and but real quick, if you're listening right now, you're listening to us, the San Antonio Sports Star, new and improved on 94.1. That's exactly right. Now, if you're listening on 1250 AM or if 103.3 is still going on, Move your way over to 94.1. That is our new home. Okay, that is where we're going to be. Yes. And man, the footprint is large. Man, we've gone from having a footprint of 1.4 million people in our listening area to 2.4 million. We added a million. So, hey, welcome. Those of you in New Braunfels, San Marcos, in Comfort, in Fredericksburg, uh, down south in, in Three Rivers, Hey, good morning, everybody. Absolutely. You can now hear us. Yes, and for our regular Sunday listeners who are listening, who might be listening to ESPN AM 1250 or on 103.3, this is the time to switch over to 94.1. Go ahead and lock it in. This is where you want to hear us, and you'll hear the distinctive difference on how we sound. Obviously, as Michael was talking about, the coverage is great. We're excited because now our reach is beyond our grasp. This is great. It's beyond 1604. Yeah, this is like a regional station now. I feel powerful, man. I know. They kicked Dua Lipa off. They kicked Justin Mm. Bieber off. All that music that was going on. And don't get me wrong. We loved Energy 94.1. Rest in peace. Yes. 94.1. But uh, this kind of shows you how big the station has become over the course of the last 12 months. You know, we have R&R in the morning with Rob Thompson and Rudy J. Halftime with myself from noon to two. The Blitz. I mean, Joe Reinagle now with Jason Minix from four to seven. Lots going on. Obviously, Sunday Sports Grill, Saturday morning hangover. Yes. More programming possibly on the way. Exciting. It is exciting. And so for people who are listening to this show for the very first time, what we do on the Sunday Sports Grill uh, during the football season and throughout, we're basically that we do fantasy. We, we're fantasy gods. And we, we dive into the, the enthusiasts who follow statistics of the NFL season moves that are being made predictions we do a little bit on the betting line side as well so a lot of sports enthusiasts who like the game within the game this is where they come but in addition to that 
We add a little bit more. We put a little bit of a summary on the week that was on Sports Headline News, and we dive into a little bit of the streaming content that people oftentimes get caught up, whether it be YouTube or your streaming services or what you're watching currently throughout the week. Oh, it's great because uh, back in the day on ESPN, they used to have the sports reporters. And what I liked about that show back in the day was that it recapped the week and then it sets it up for the week ahead. And that's what you guys do a very, very good job of. Uh, the Fantasy Gods is so much fun because we have our loyal listeners who come in wanting to know who should we start, who should we sit, you know, who should we pick up on the waiver wires and things like that. Yes. Fantasy sports is huge. But again, when Brandon's here, we've got to talk about spreads because that guy, I don't want to say he's a degenerate because he's not. Okay. <laughs> he pays his mortgage before he places his bets. Okay. But if there's any spread out there, he knows about it. I agree. I agree, and he deep dives into it. And right, bigger scale, just a regular betting line, but he also will take the prop bets to go along with it as well. He's more than happy to take. If there was a Marcus Smart, what color he's going to have in his hair tonight? Yes. If there was a betting line he could do on it, he would take the the plus over or minus on that as well. Now, introducing Quinn Hudson. Quinn, you not only do radio, but you're also on stage from time to time this is correct so uh a standing stand-up comedian is uh is my is my first love and uh i enjoy doing that as well it's an interesting transition to do this on radio to kind of find balance with that both of with humor uh as well as doing this but this has been a great opportunity and you were my mentor right out the gate so i'm glad to be working with you again michael because you come from Sunday. You were once doing this on the show, and it's every Sunday from 11 to 1 where we're on the Sunday Sports Grill. But, Michael, you kind of left Sunday and went, and now you've got your own show on halftime. And so for people who are listening, how can they hear you and what exactly you do on your show? Well, the journey is the same for both of us. We are Rock the Mic champions. Yes. Right? So RJ Ochoa is the OG from Blogging yeah. the Boys. Yes. He's phenomenal. Follow him on Twitter, uh, RJ Ochoa. He's amazing. Uh, but uh, I was doing weekends here for a couple of years. I gave birth to the fantasy gods. That mm-hmm. kind of I woke up at three in the morning thinking to myself, the fantasy gods. That's a great name for a show. Pulled out PowerPoint, created a whole presentation, sent it in, and it got greenlit seven hours later. And uh, Brandon and I kind of did that for a while. Uh, but last year, you know, I was doing uh, Sunday Sports Grill with you. Yes, and it was kind of like a September call up in baseball. You know, they basically. Uh, wanted to make a change, and they said, uh, Jimenez, can you come in and just host the show for a couple of days in October? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I show up in October, and it's weird because people came up to me and were like, that was pretty funny. And I'm like, well, all I did was what we typically do on the Sunday Sports Grill. I did that in the form of halftime, right? right. And they basically said, uh, can you sit in a few more days? Set in a few days, and then all of a sudden, can you come back in next week? Okay. November 1? It's your show temporarily until January, and then we'll kind of figure things out. Mm-hmm. And uh, there I am, January 3rd, and they're like, here are the keys to the car. It's your show. So technically, the show became mine on January 3rd, but I have been manning the ship since October 17th. Not that I'm counting days or anything like that. But it was kind of funny because um, you know it all started on the weekends. And because what we did on, on Sunday Sports Grill and, w- and what you guys continue to do now is different than what the Blitz and R&R in the morning do. Because we like to incorporate things like pop culture, nostalgic things, gambling, fantasy, yes. and stuff like that. It's a, it's. I like to say that we are guys just sitting at the bar, just talking 
sports talking trash yes you know because what do guys talk about and it's not only guys by the way it's funny when you look at the demos of people who listen to our show about 35 percent of those who are listening are women and the thing is is that when you take a look at that it's like what are we talking about we like talking about sports food drink concerts music movies yes games you know for the nerds out there marvel you know and and I, i say that i say that politely okay because james pledger is one of those marvel absolutely is i bounce off my 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 novice on him as well you know i'm the nerd for not liking marvel okay so maybe i'm i have gone from being the cool guy who didn't like it to being the uncool guy who should like it well i think you have this stigma of you're just an anti um in real time like if you hear like how can you go through not not seeing some of these blockbuster movies when they were hits? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when when Notebook came out, I didn't want to go see the Notebook. Still haven't seen it. But this is my point. And so you're hearing about it, right? You're hearing people going to see it. You're hearing like, oh, there's this movie out there that everybody's going to see, couples and all this stuff. And you're like, meh, <laughs> meh. And then you end up doing a review about it, you know. Years, years later. The, yeah, years later. Yeah, so on, on Wednesdays uh, on Halftime, uh, I do nostalgic movie reviews of movies that I've never seen before, but everyone seems to have watched it at some point in their lives. Yes. And I go back in time to the 80s and 90s. I miss so much. I don't know if it's because I was sheltered or because I just wasn't interested. Uh, this past week, I watched Poltergeist for the first time, and I did a review on Poltergeist. By the way, what, did you grade, what grade did you get? I gave it an A-. minus. Okay. It was teetering between a B plus and an A-. minus. Uh, but when I saw Joe Reinagle, I was doing the show. I was doing Halftime by myself. Yeah. And I felt weird doing a review of a movie by myself. So during the commercial break, I ran into the hallway and I saw Ryan Eagle. I was like, Ryan Eagle, get over here. We're, help me with my movie review. And he goes, what movie? I said, Poltergeist. And he beamed. And just the delight in his face, the joy of going back in time and revisiting this Steven Spielberg classic from 1982. I was like, you know what? That's an A-. minus. I can't do B+. Plus on you that. can't. By the way, and I know this is not what we were going to talk about, but... Poltergeist is still the most stigmatizing movie from my childhood. It literally embodied every essence of my fears. The closet, under the bed, clowns, (laughs) the branches on the the window during storms, uh, unlit pools, graves, food... I'm a germaphobe. The the haunted food. I forgot you're a germaphobe. Yes, so this... That movie actually tapped into everything, every element of my childhood that was so traumatic that Poltergeist was not a movie I could continue to watch over and over, but it's one that stayed with me all But they years. sprinkled in Jo Beth Williams. And she was kind of, you know, yeah, she watchable. was hottie. You yeah. know, she was a hot the mom. Original mom. I, didn't, I didn't know what a hot mom was back in the day. We get older. It, yeah, we get older. We go, not bad. Yeah. Hey, what's the scariest movie you've ever seen? Oh, it's, it's, it's The Exorcist. Never seen it. How can that be? How can that be? I've already have heard a, of it. I know. I have a list of movies that I'm going to watch in October for Halloween. But uh, most recently, the, the scariest movie I've seen, and I don't want to say that it's scary, but it's the one that stays with me, and I love the movie. The remake was also pretty okay. It wasn't as good as the original, mm-hmm. but The Omen oh. is one. The bum, 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 bum. Oh, yeah. Oh, That's my a, goodness. Yeah. It, Damien, uh, I did it for you. And she jumps uh, off the window and hangs herself. Um, the yeah. Rottweilers. Yeah. 
Um, the, uh, the bamboo, the, the, the baboons that were out on oh, the yeah. as well. Yeah. And then the guy to get in the photographs with the negatives and you can see how they're going to die by looking at the photographic Awful. memory, uh, yeah. negatives. That was psychological horror in your mind. Well, cause it seemed like plausible, I guess is what I'm saying. That, <laughs> that, that, that if evil did, does exist, it would manifest itself in this way. And see, that's how I feel about paranormal activity. The, the original yeah. paranormal activity. The, the, I know I put my keys here, but now they're not there. Okay. I would never put my keys there. How did they get here? That's what they did in that movie. Okay. So then that's when it plays with your mind. Like, the, how did that pool toy get in the pool? Like, I didn't put it there. And now it's in the pool. Do you ever the watch? Pot and pan falling in the kitchen. Do you ever watch The Adjustment Bureau? Not a horror movie at all. No. But the whole thing about your keys being missing, how oh. I put them here and then they're over here. Or you put them there, you don't see them, you look around for 15 minutes and then they're right where they were supposed to be. Mm. Like, what happened to them? So it's an angel trying to prevent you from getting into an accident. That's the adjustment bureau with Matt Damon. I've they're never basi- heard they're this. basically they're basically saying, had you left at that time, you might have been in a car accident. You might have done something wrong in your life would have happened, or you would have gone off path in life mm. had you gotten your keys at that time and left on time. Uh, but going back to these scary movies, what are your thoughts on Final Destination? I like the concept of it. In the first, the, the first inception of it, watching it, yeah. but then it became kind of like fodder, uh, no longer a scary movie, but just kind of cliche kind of thing, almost like a scary movie spoof of itself. Yeah. That's how I felt how uh, that's what Final Destination became. But the first one was pretty good, especially I, with the whole plane thing. I think it's amazing. I think it's an amazing, amazing movie. And, and just going back in time to all the sequels that they've had, I mean, would you drive behind you know, a big old trailer with lots of logs or pipes or anything like that, man, I pull off to the side. Oh, I am not behind those I cars. I want no part of it. But uh, very, very cool. Hey, we have a, a big show. We already have callers calling in. This is amazing. <laughs> nice. But uh, we have to go to break. What are we talking about? Uh, okay, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to preview game two of the Celtics Warriors game. That's going to be exciting. That game is tonight at seven o'clock. We're talking about what's taking place with the missions. Whoa! I, it, we've got issues going on with with the realities of life of why why the missions game will not happen today. We're going to talk about the French Open. I want to know if the Joker is still the goat in tennis. <laughs> We're going to talk about Deshaun Watson. We've got a lot to talk about on today's show, and we're going to have the Kabalsa Bacon phone line that's going to be open as well. Caller, stay on the line. We will talk to you today. This is the Sunday Sports Grill. You are listening to the San Antonio Sports Star, ninety four point one, baby you HD. Know it. Welcome back. You're listening to the Sunday Sports Grill on San Antonio Sports Star. Now on 94.1. If you're listening on 1250, make your way over to 94.1. My name is Michael Jimenez. Back on a Sunday, hanging out with Quinn Hudson. Yes, Michael. Uh, you were you were gracious in the, the way that you talked about leaving the fantasy gods. But in truth, let's just be honest. You were Bobby Brown leaving new edition oh my god okay this was not this was not like I can't this sleep bad night yeah, you, yeah you went every little step i take my prerogative you my were, pro- my i can prerogative. do whatever i want to do can, <laughs> i made this money who did <laughs> right ted <laughs> we out yeah. here 
<laughs> you left the group, man. You left, you left Ronnie, Bobby, Ricky, and Mike. Mike and Roth and Johnny, man. Oh, man. But, no, but you see, but Bobby comes back and reunites he does. from time to time. He does and still gives and gives back to it, man. And, and the group is great. And what's so funny, you know, I kind of hijacked the show already because I started talking about the movie reviews on Wednesdays. Yes. And the Kielbasa Bacon phone line started ringing 656 ESPN. Bring them on. We've got Paul with a movie idea. What's going on, Paul? How's it going? Now, this is the movie for TV, if you can believe that. Wait, say that one more time. Say that one more time again. It was made for TV. It came out on either ABC or CBS. I can't remember which one. Salem's Lot. Ooh. Oh, yes. The remake is coming out in November, October November. And it's, it, I've already seen the preview. This looks just as good as the original. I'm writing this down right now. Salem's Lot. I've heard of it. I remember the original. I've never seen it. Yeah. It was good. David Stoll is a star. I'm excited because it just sounds scary. Just the the name, the city Salem. It just all kind of comes together for me on that. Oh, yeah. That's definitely wicked, wicked vampire, eerie, dark, loom, you know, illuminated background, backdrop. Scary stuff, man. Salem's Lot. That was one that was not one you wanted to watch twice. No joke, man. Hey, Paul, thanks for the call. And speaking of no jokes, man, those Celtics. Uh, not a joke at all, baby. Hey, now, you know, at the beginning, the last show we did together, I believe, in October, which was before the beginning of the NBA season, I said that the Warriors were going to come out of the West. And I believe that because I felt like the Warriors, before injury, were a championship team. Basically took a two-year hiatus, stockpiled some lottery picks, came back healthy, and added these, the talent pool around them. And we're going to be more of a formidable uh, contender than they were even before that. And that's where I feel like they are now. And I know that the, the knee-jerk reaction from game one, everyone feels like now it's shifted to now Boston and what will Warriors do? Boston's not going to win another game in this series. Not another game. The Warriors absolutely came out the gate. They they allowed the Celtics back into this game. They basically, they were like, come on. Al Horford is going to have a career night. You're Derek White. Are you kidding me? It's going to be a knockdown three. He suddenly suddenly became Bruce Bowen. He Bruce Bowen 2.0. Derek White becomes this thing, and now everybody thinks this is a competitive series, and it is not. You're going to see this game is going to be a 20-point blowout tonight. They will put their foot down and regain control of this series. What say you, Michael? You know, I'm a fan of hot takes. That's a boiling take right there. (laughs) I'm sorry, but if I look at it from a different perspective, you had Steph Curry go off for 21 points in the first quarter. Mm Mm-hmm. You had Steph Curry go off for 34 points in the game. You had them up 12 points going into the fourth quarter. Jason Tatum was 3 for 17 shooting. And you still got your ass kicked. Golden State's perspective at home. And Rudy J and I were talking about this the other day, about how it's not Roracle. It's not in Oakland. You've got a corporate crowd in San Francisco cheering this team on. It's different. That is not an atmosphere anymore that intimidates any team. Because one of the things about the NBA, what separates the stars from role players, is that the stars can 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 play at any arena, whereas the role play players typically can only play at home. 
I agree with that. But when it comes to wherever they're playing in San Francisco, I mean, you have players like Horford that can step up, Derek White that stepped up. And I know that everything reverts to the mean at some point, right? Yep. But they don't have to be hot for 82 games. They just got to be hot for this week and get that ring. Derek White is three games away, three wins away from winning a ring. And what I see from the Celtics, they won two road games in round one, two road games in round two, two road games in round three. They like playing on the road. They're not going to be the team like the Mavericks or like the Suns who were happy getting a split. They're going to come out and play. And I'm not saying that Golden State can't win. Golden State may very well win this game. Yes. But Boston's not going to roll over. And I've been on the Boston train probably since about March. I was like, oh, my God, Derek White's going to get a ring. He's going to get a ring. And before the playoffs started, I was saying this is all Boston's. It's Boston's to lose. Because I think that Boston has a higher ceiling than Golden State. So it was a tale of two halves in game one, right? Tale of two halves of what Golden State was doing and executing and getting Steph going. But at the same time, we also saw what what Boston making the adjustments. Uh, Udoka has been phenomenal at making in-game adjustments with his team. And you saw Boston then get hot, even without their best player, Jason Tatum, right? Being his scoring, a scoring option. He became a facilitator in this 13 game. 13 assists. Absolutely. Nine of them for three-pointers. But are you telling me, especially you, Michael, yeah. are you going to really put your money on a Derek White perimeter shooting? Are you really going to put your money on Al Horford being a knockdown uh, perimeter threat against these Golden State Warriors? And are you going to think Clay Thompson is not going to become a catalyst no. moving forward in this series? No, he's not. And And the thing is, is that, these are the number one and number two defenses in the NBA from the regular season. Yes. Okay, the last time the top two defenses played each other, 1996, Bulls and the Sonics. Okay? Oh, wow. That was the last time. So these teams are made for each other. And the weird thing about it is I think Boston defensively is made to combat the offense that comes from Golden State. Mm-hmm. You saw, I think they were trying to figure out who are they going to put on clay and early on, it was Marcus Smart, and that didn't work. And then they moved over to Jalen Brown, and then that didn't work. And then they realized, wait a minute, Derek White needs to be the one on Clay. And and ever since that happened, Clay couldn't get a shot off. And when he did, Derek White's hand, arm, was in the way. Um, Steph Curry is 34 years old. And as brilliant as he is, he is not the same player that he was 10 years ago, 5 years ago. Don't get me wrong, he blew up for 21 points. In the first quarter. He yes. looked amazing. Knocked down six three-pointers in that first quarter. He was amazing. But he didn't show he didn't do anything the rest of the way. You know, and, and that was the thing is that every wave that the Warriors came with, the Celtics responded. Now, I cannot say that the Celtics are gonna knock down the first seventh three-pointers of the fourth quarter or or gonna hold Golden State scoreless for five minutes like they did in game one. Right. But it shows what that defense is capable of. Because that wasn't an off night of shooting from Golden State. That was Boston putting the clamps on. And I agree with that part of it. I I think one of the the things that's most fascinating about this Boston Celtics team is when you look at the the gauntlet that they've gone through, how pedestrian they had KD and Kyrie look against Mm -hmm. Boston. Then going against the juggernaut that is Giannis um, with the Milwaukee defending NBA champions. I get it without Middleton. However, Giannis was still being Giannis. 
So they still had to deal with that defensively. And then you go into Jimmy Buckets, who basically is just a dog within a dog fight, who you're going to have to put away. Jimmy's not going to lay down, and he didn't all the way down to the last shot. So Boston has demonstrated they absolutely can take on the force that of offensive juggernauts that go across any team. But the Warriors are different. We didn't see Poole emerge in this game, as we've seen throughout the playoffs. We didn't see... Draymond be this unpredictable catalyst as well. And I think you're going to see the mistakes that they did not, they did not overcome when Boston made the adjustments defensively. I think you're going to see Steve Kerr come in with a counter for that moving forward in this series. I don't know what counter can be made. Everything that the, that the Warriors wanted, which was Horford shooting the ball and white shooting the ball happened. I mean, they're going to basically dare them again because Horford, Guy was a basketball god for one night over there. And this is a 35, 36-year-old guy who's been around the block and has basically played for a third of the league. That, that I, When he was looking at the rim, the rim was a hula hoop. Okay, it wasn't a regular rim. It was a hula hoop. Michael. And you know what? I need you to stop. And you know what? What? What you're going to see today is that if it gets really close, gets really close, Draymond might get a little bit testy out there. Might lose himself a little bit because if you if you think the Warriors are going to win this series, then what you're telling me is that Golden State's going to win three times in Boston, or at least twice in Boston. That is exactly what's about to happen because Boston has one more in them in Golden State. They're going to win over there at least one more time this series. This is about to become a gentleman's sweep, and it's about to become a Carnegie side of bet. I see this already happening, Michael. <laughs> Double or nothing? This is a double. I, I tried paying you back today. You, you said did. That you you actually did. It's been so long, though. I felt like we had gotten to a point. <laughs> yes, the statute of limitations had run out <laughs> yes. on my on my I can't betting. Claim my tacos <laughs> at this point. I got to litigate to get Carnegie Sadas from Michael Jimenez. Dude, I this is a great series. This is the series that we wanted. By the way, the NBA ratings on TV and on streaming services and all that was up 14% last I saw for this playoff series or playoffs compared to last year and up 50% from the year before. Why? Because people want to watch Boston. People want to watch Golden State. Those were the two highest rated teams out there that people wanted to watch. They're playing each other in the finals. I'm sure the NBA is cheering for a six or seven game series. But it ain't happening. You're right, because Boston's probably going to take it down in five at this point. Oh, listen now, to I you. Still, I still have Boston in six. You're a prisoner of the moment. I have Boston in six. I said it from the get-go. Edwin, you want to chime in on this? Who do you have in this series? Boston in seven. <laughs> what is <laughs> Kevin Durant is not coming out of that locker room, okay? KD is not there. Okay. I, I gotta listen, first of all, we've we've gotta we gotta have a real conversation about this series, and then there's an elephant in the room that is not being addressed, and that is Derek White, because you have not been the president of the fan club of Derek White when he was a San Antonio Spur, Michael Jimenez. Yes, I mean, I was accused of a lot of Derek White slander, but the fact of the matter is, is that as a number four or five option, he's really good at it. What if I was to say that the reason why the San Antonio Spurs are not playing today is because of the mindset 
of Michael Jimenez. You are listening to the Sunday Sports Grill. Be ready, Spurs fans, to chime in because I've got a lot to talk about. You Every Sunday from 11 to 1, I'm Quinn Hudson. Michael Jimenez will be back. You're listening to the Sunday Sports Grill on 94.1, the blowtorch. I don't know what you're doing on Sunday, but we're watching sports. We're excited. We're talking about the NBA Finals, Celtics Warriors Game 2. Michael Jimenez has sold his soul to think that the Boston Celtics has shifted the universe and the Warriors are not who we thought they were. But before we went into break, I brought up Derek White because, you know, at the beginning of the season the NBA season, I probably was the lone person on this station who said the San Antonio Spurs were a playoff team right now. And before you went into team tank, cause you did give it an honest, you gave it an honest patience of let's see how the season goes. Yeah. Like four weeks. Yeah. And then you got <laughs> to a point where like, okay, we're, we, we've taken this as far as it goes. Now let's make the best of the worst situation. And I had this conversation with Jeff Garcia. I believe that the Spurs, Last season, going into this season, had the talent to absolutely be a seventh, sixth seed going into the playoffs with a young nucleus that they could build upon. The Spurs chose to do some interesting things, both with their current roster that they had and then made some moves to improve and then to build draft capital down the road to improve the franchise. Never really giving the core, which you look at the Boston Celtics, when you look at how they stayed with Tatum, how they stayed stayed with Jalen Brown how with and without injury because that that it plagued him early on Marcus Smart same thing and you see how they kept that core nucleus together and now it's come to fruition I believe if I were to say Derek White DeMar DeRozan Kyle Anderson Thaddeus Young and Eubanks played against DeJounte Murray Okay, Lonnie. I see where you're going. Lonnie, Vassell, Keldon Johnson, and Pirtle on a five on five. The the talent that the Spurs got removed itself with, I think would beat the current Spurs roster. No, I see where you're going with that. And and I think that there's some merit to what you're saying. So I'm not gonna say that it's a foolish take at all. But you know, the pieces of the puzzle need to come together at some point. And you can have three or four really good players and it not work. Take a look at the Lakers. All right. Davis, LeBron, Russ, yes. Carmelo, Dwight Howard. Doesn't work. It it doesn't work. So sometimes talent isn't all that's needed. You need to have people who know their role. This is the alpha. This is the person taking the shot last. This is the the this number two pick. This is the Scotty, right? Here's the number three guy, the number four guy, the number five guy. What I like about what we see in the NBA Finals right now is that it's very defined on both teams. This is Tatum's team, Brown's the second banana, and then everyone else fall in line. Marcus Smart, you're three. Horford, you're four. Derek White, you're five. It is in line. You look at the True. at the Warriors, you have that Steph. It's Steph's team. Clay also will be a Hall of Famer. You're the number two. Draymond, you're three. Wiggins. And then it goes to Wiggins and then Paul Poole yeah. or whoever, right? Yep. So there needs to be some sort of hierarchy on a successful team. The problem with the Spurs was that they didn't have any hierarchy because everyone was just as talented as the person next to them, especially when DeRozan was with the the Spurs. 
because DeRozan leaving opened things up for DeJounte Murray. If DeRozan was still on the Spurs roster, DeJounte Murray would not be an all-star. Why is that? Because there's only one ball. But why is it that, why is it, speaking of ball, why is it that ball and Levine can still flourish around DeRozan? Why are those, I mean, here's a ball-dominant guard, a scoring guard that also needs the ball as well, playing around DeRozan, but somehow DeRozan and the Nucleus were flourishing before Ball got injured this season. Yeah, and then they kind of just well, know, Ball was injured, and, and he. I mean, they, the catalyst, their their point guard was gone for the the rest of the year. I mean, it's all it's always about systems, and it's always about kind of do they mix and match well together. Uh, I I love DeRozan. I thought he was a fantastic player, and I thought he was a great guy in San Antonio. Nothing. I'll never say anything bad about him, but there are some who are designed to be alphas, and some who are designed not to be. And I think DeJounte Murray kind of wanted that alpha type of role. He wanted to have the ball in his hand. And I like him in and, that role. And, you know, 21 points per game, nine, uh, nine assists and eight and a half rebounds. I mean, what more do you want from a particular player? The thing is, is that you need to know who are you going to build around. You can't build around a system. You have to build around players. The Spurs, when they won the five rings, were built around Tim Duncan. Right now, you take a look at the Celtics, it's built around Tatum and Brown. You take a look at the Warriors, it's built around Clay and Steph. Who are you building around? That's the thing, because the, the inner alphas need to, need, to, need to eat. And I wonder who the Spurs are trying to build around, because, you know, Jeff Garcia from Locked On Spurs and Ken's Five will always ask me, do you think that, that DeJounte Murray is the guy that is going to be the number one player for a playoff team? And I don't think so. I don't think you can build around DeJounte. I think DeJounte is an ideal number two. I like him as a number two as well. Um, I do believe he's a bona fide star in this yes. league. Now he's arrived. I don't think last year was an anomaly. I and do it, believe he is definitely there. But he does need help. But I believe that they had a core group of talent that they did. No, they, they, they did not. Okay, so let's just let's just talk about what was on the shelf, okay? Um, when you look at Thaddeus Young, I this was this was a, a sore spot with me. And, you know, we talked about this on your show on the halftime show during um, – Noon to two, Monday through Friday. I mentioned Daddy's Young goes to Toronto during the playoffs, and I'm watching him, and he gets like 14 points. And I'm thinking, how many DMPs did he get in the black and silver? So you're telling me that he goes to Toronto, and all of a sudden you they insert him, and now this veteran forward gives 14 points. How many Spurs games did they lose down the stretch? They were in the game. It looks like the Spurs were going to hold on and they lost it in the fourth quarter because of a lack of depth, a lack of front court support, scoring coming in the paint. And so it was almost a self-sabotage of where the Spurs were saying, well, we don't have. And, and yet they were choosing not to. We had Primo in Austin, right? While other rookies were getting battle tested in the first half of the season, our talent is in Austin. So I feel like the Spurs do things to sabotage their own success even when they have young talent, don't make it's me already do it. in place. Don't make me do it. Here we go. Don't make me do it. Come on. You know I don't want Pop as the head coach anymore. Oh, no. I've been I don't saying want this for a long, long time. You're trying to rattle me up on a Sunday, on a Sunday morning. I'm trying to come on in here and fill in for Brandon, and I do not get me going. Those views being expressed as Michael Jimenez can be found on the halftime noon to two, who is speaking on this. The kill bus of bacon phone line is open. That's 210-656-3776. Michael Jimenez is talking about replacing Greg Popovich, arguably the greatest coach no. in NBA history. You can, How can you say this? You can be the GOAT and not be the right guy for the job. You can. It's possible. 
And the fact Do you of the think matter, that's the problem? Dude, I mean, he's 54 years older than his youngest player. 54 years. And what is concerning me right now is the fact that do we have any more in the cupboard? Because we've seen Becky Hammond go off and, and go 9-1 and one with the Aces and win, win the Coach of the Month. True. We've seen Ime Yodoka, who's a rookie head coach, go off and is now in the NBA Finals three games away from winning a title. True. We've seen Budenholzer win last year. We've, we've Monty. Seen, we've seen Monty have the number one record in the West. We've seen so many Spurs assistant coaches go off and have success. Hold on. It would have been nice if one of them had taken over the team. It would have been nice to have someone who was 35, 40, 45 years old take over this team and and work well with younger players and the younger way of playing. And it's so frustrating because you know what we're going to have? We're going to have Pop coach two more years, and the legacy he's going to have He's going to have five championship rings, Hall of Famer, considered the goat by, by the goat yes. by many. But can you imagine if he goes off into the sunset five years in a row with losing records? Because that's on the that's the pace that we're going on right now. No way. Kilbasa Bacon phone lines are open at six five six ESPN. Pledger apparently just woke up. James Pledger, what's going on, Pledge? What's happening, guys? What's up, Pledge? What's happening, man? I'm usually used to Mike with the hot takes, but Quinn coming out with the Spurs are a playoff team. Uh, they uh, they absolutely were. I mean, if you look at Pledger, if you look at where they finished the season, and then you uh-huh. look at and you look at the, where they finished this season, you look at the inconsistent minutes of Derek White. You look at the inconsistent uh-huh. minutes and play of Lonnie Walker, the DMPs uh-huh. of Thaddeus Young, even Eubanks' uh-huh. inconsistency. Oh, you Eubanks? Could, you could say, well, we saw Eubanks when he went to Portland. Suddenly, he was able to get you a double-double. You can get 12-12 and 12 from Someone's Eubanks. Someone's got to get stats. Well, they, they were actively yeah. tanking. Okay, but he was the second best player on that roster at the time. That's not a good thing. Well, there was, there, <laughs> but there were times where Pirtle was definitely getting it handed to him, and we still wouldn't even put Eubanks in the game. Exactly, Pirtle's getting it handed to him because he can't physically match up with some of the more athletic bigs. Eubanks wasn't going to be any better. You guys are just you're just ignoring the realities that Thaddeus Young c- couldn't get McDermott minutes, you, you, and then he can go to Toronto and suddenly be a catalyst off the bench. You can't, and have, be, it, you can't have it both ways. What, what are we saying? You can't have it both ways, Quinn. You said inconsistent minutes for White, inconsistent minutes for Lonnie. Uh, the scheme. Whose fault is that? It's Greg Popovich's fault. So you can't have the goat and glow him not, up one not, way. And then on the other side of that argument, be like, you can't get rid of him. Yes, because he's the issue right now. Here's the other issue that nobody's talking about. Greg Popovich's future is so murky and uncertain. What free agent would commit to San Antonio not knowing the future of the franchise and the coach that would be in place to lead them through whatever contract they sign? Hey, Pledge, have the Spurs check the fax machine? <laughs> because that's how Tim Duncan retired. He sent a fax. I thought, 
I thought they were using a teledot. Okay, so let's be let's be real though. This is not this is not a a new dilemma with dealing with Greg Popovich. When has he? When have the Spurs organization under Popovich ever disclosed their future, their their direction that they were going? This isn't new, and that's got to be an issue, man. You know, again, that's be an issue. Look at the Pop USA thing. They talk about a clear line of secession in place military, which Pop is a military guy, and having a line of secession in place, yet they don't have that in San Antonio. Do do we believe that do we believe that Popovich has not communicated that? You believe the coaching staff is unaware of when he's gonna leave and what what the bench strength is of building up who the next grooming next potential head coach would be? Half the team's replaceable. Uh, so I mean I don't see why they would say it. You have on the roster is Will Hardy right now. Everybody else has gone on and taken a better job. Becky Hammond is off to a fantastic start with the Aces. Amy Udoka is in the NBA Finals. Steve Kerr used to be a front office guy here. He's in the Finals. Coach Bud won a title last year and was a game seven away from being back in it this year. Like, everybody that was a part of Pop's coaching tree that could have been part of the line of secession has moved on to other things, including Tommy Jenks down in Memphis. Quinn Snyder, Presty, front office. I I mean, everyone's gone. Today's, the cupboard's empty. Today's gout flare-up has been brought to you by Michael Jimenez and James Pleasure for calling in and talking about Popovich. I appreciate that. Manu. We're, we're going to come back after this break. James, I don't know if you're going to be there or not, but I hope you are going to stay on the line because I'm not oh, done with this conversation. You are listening to San Antonio Sports Star on ESPN 94.1. Let's go. This is Jason Minix on your home for Dallas Cowboys football. San Antonio Sports Star, ESPN AM 1250 and 94.1 FM. Yeah, that's bad, like a boom, 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 boom. This is what we're doing on a Sunday. We're having a good time. Music bumping. I got Michael Jimenez here across from me. Got my foot hurting. <laughs> but we also have my man, producer during the week, James Pledger. Also can be heard on the Saturday morning hangover. Clearly hungover still on Sunday talking crazy about Greg Popovich and changes that be made. James. I'm not. What listen. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna this may hurt your gout, Uh-oh. but I'm gonna break this down so you can best understand what had happened and it's gonna involve your Dallas Cowboys. Mm. What was the best thing that happened to the Dallas Cowboys? It was them moving on from Tom Landry before he was ready to move on. Why you got to go there, man? Why are you bringing up old stuff? Because what he was doing was a little outdated. It wasn't being received uh, as well by the players. It wasn't working around the league. And you can argue currently Pop is hurting the San Antonio Spurs just because of the cloudiness of his future. If I'm a free agent, if I'm Zach Levine, if I'm DeAndre Ayton, if I am anyone of note and I'm going to commit long-term, four or five years on a max contract, what is my incentive? Because it's not the city. It's the organization itself and the coach. But if I don't know what the long-term viability of that coach is, why would I give it serious contemplation and 
or would I just go somewhere where everything's more set, more fluid, and I know what the future of that organization is? I cannot believe Pledger said that, that it was like Tom Landry. It wasn't like Tom Landry at all, because Landry was nine years younger than what Pop is now. I don't have my reinforcements here on my show today. My man Brandon Big Poppy Medina is not here. Tanner Carlson, cowboy, cowboy fandom is agree with us. People, people think I'm people think I'm 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 exaggerating driving around right now. No, Popovich is seventy three years old. Landry got axed at sixty four. Okay. Now, Pop deserves the right. He reserves the right to, <laughs> to be leave, head coach of the Spurs for and as to leave long on his own accord, to. right? But you know, we can sit here and say that he's the goat because for many, many years he was. But I've yet to ever see him rebuild a team. I've never seen it happen. So, so we're, I mean, we're already we're already down the road for next season. I mean, Pop is on board for next season. Yes, yeah. I would assume so. But so, what about the season after that? What about the season after that? So, are what about you, the every single off season we go into it going? Is Pop going to retire? Because we're just so they don't give us any clue as to how long his contract is is or how many years are left on it or whether he even has the desire to continue coaching, and that affects multiple things not only within the organization but outside of it in terms of free agency you've got all of this money to spend now but who are you going to throw it at that's willing to commit to an unknown so your expectations for the upcoming season are the same as the status quo of this season with popovich still at the reins well no the difference is is that you have brian wright as general manager which I liked his moves from this season already. He, he had great moves. Mm-hmm. Got a first-rounder for Thad Young. Got a first-rounder and Josh Richardson and Romeo Langford for Derek White. Got a couple of second-rounders for Brent Forbes. He has shown that he's able to wheel and deal. You have three first-round draft picks this year, 9, 20, and 25. The draft is in two weeks. The odds of the Spurs having three first-rounders and the number 38 pick and the Spurs bringing four rookies onto the team is not going to no. happen. Spurs are going to make moves. The Spurs have a lot of free agents uh, cap space available. They can have even more cap space available if they get rid of Zach Collins because that's a non-guaranteed contract. Romeo Langford, that is a team option. They can get that $6.5 million back. Mm-hmm. The Spurs have the ability to drop players like Trey Jones and, and uh, Keita Bates-Diop. Those are non-guaranteed mm-hmm. contracts. There's certain things the Spurs can do to absorb a max deal or close to a max deal if they want to go that route. The good thing about the Spurs is that there's a lot of different directions that they can go in. They don't have to pin all their hopes on the draft. They don't have to pin all their hopes on getting a max contract. They can go in different directions. There's some second-tier free agents that wouldn't be that bad of a deal. And and if you would, at that point, need to get some leaps from Keldon and from Devin Vassell. Keldon last year went from 12.9 points per game to 17. He's now a 40% three-point shooter. He has taken that leap. He needs another leap. He needs a little bit more finesse in his game. He can't be bull in a china shop type of thing. Devin Vassell, I'm really, really high on. If he can start locking people on defensively, we still don't know what we have with Primo. I was happy that Pop actually played him last season. I agree. And they they got some run out of him. He hit a rookie wall, but they all do. He bounced back. Awkward during the play-in game, though. I thought it was weird for him to get those kind of minutes. I like to pretend like the play-in game doesn't exist because... 
He got like a, it got a lot of Spurs fans excited from the fact that that was like the worst Spurs record in about 30 years. But um, yeah, play instrument. Woo! Oh, yeah, that was fun. But uh, no, there's a lot of bouncy big and free agency you could be looking for that you don't have to max out like a DeAndre Ayton. Correct. You know, if you want to go after a Mo Bamba, if you want to go after a, you know, a Miles Turner type of player, and, and it doesn't have to be by free agency. It could be trades. It could be sign-in trades. Mm-hmm. A lot of different moves that the Spurs can go. I mean, maybe the Spurs want to get a shooting guard or somebody who can play a combo like a Jalen Brunson. Uh, you know, no. some... <laughs> Sorry. For those of you who don't know, Quinn Hudson is a Dallas Mavericks fan and Cowboys fan. So we like Sorry, to... Quinn. Yeah. He's going, and I told you this a long time you ago. You did say he this. He's the you... exact person that uh, the Knicks would throw too much money at in the offseason. And what have they gone and done? They hired his dad onto their coaching staff. This is why I need medical socks on when I do the show on Sundays <laughs> when I'm talking to Pledger. Is uh is it the Cowboys year? Oh, absolutely it is. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it got worse. It's about it's to go Cowboys it's year. about to go down. We're gonna have a good time with this. It's gonna be a good season upcoming for the Cowboys. Oh well, of course it is. They have the easiest schedule in all the NFL. Man. Of yeah. course it is. We're not gonna know if they're any good or not. Mm. They're gonna have five games to start the season, three of them against really good quarterbacks. They've got Brady and the Bucks to start out. Then they've got uh they've got uh Burrow and the Bengals. Week five, they've got Stafford and the Rams. So you're like, okay, well, if they can just get through that three and two or two and three, they'll be fine because the rest of the season, they've got basura, baby. They got nothing but trash the rest of the way. We're going to be all right, man. They're On the second 12, hour, we're going to be 12 and five. And we're going to be like, are they a good team or not? We already know this is happening. We got another hour coming up on the Sunday Sports Grill. Thank you, Pledge, for calling in. Everybody, appreciate you guys. We're going to talk Top Gun. We're going to talk preview for the NBA Finals. You're listening to the San Antonio Sports Grill. Yes, Sports Grill on, on 94 1. HD, baby. Rafael Nadal. San Antonio Sports Star, ESPN AM 1250 and 94.1 FM. Brandon Medina, Tanner Carlson, and Quinn Hudson. The Sunday Sports Grill. What's happening, San Antonio and the greatest sound in San Antonio area? If you're listening to the San Antonio Sports Grill, that means you are likely listening to it on 94.1 I'm Quinn Hudson, the host of the Sunday Sports Grill. Not with me, but also normally on the show is Brandon Big Poppy Medina and Tanner Carlson. But across from me, I have Michael Jimenez in the chair across from me that can also be heard on the halftime, noon to two, Monday through Friday. Michael, what's up? Oh, dude, 94.1. Are you hearing us, San Marcos? Are you hearing us, Hondo? Three Rivers, Floresville, Pearsall. We, it's no longer a rhetorical Fredericksburg. question. Fredericksburg. Can you hear me now? Fredericksburg. Comfort. Man, we got the power now. It's good stuff. It is good stuff, man. We're all over the place. We're no longer a local station anymore. We're a regional station. Nice. So Amazing. if you're listening to us on AM 1250, if you're listening to us still on 93.3, you yes. need to switch on over to 94.1. This is where you're going to want to listen to us moving forward. Yeah, that's a really good station in Austin, by the way, that 93.3. 93.3. Yeah, yeah. It, it plays those uh, 80s R&B jams. 
I like those. Yeah. 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 If, you yeah. Hear, if you want to hear some baby face, you know, if you want to hear some, yeah. some Teddy Pendergrass, you know, you'll be fine. What? Listen, Teddy Pendergrass. Yeah. What do you know about Teddy Pendergrass? Oh, dude. I'm, I'm, dude, 70s, 80s, 90s, R&B. I'm all about, dude. You are an old soul, dude, man. Just... You're like in your 40s, but you like listening to music that the late 50s, 60 crowd listens to. Yeah, I, I was listening to Boys to Men, you know, which is considered a classic R&B at this point. Yeah. They're, they're coming to San Antonio August 12th. My wife and I got tickets. So I'm getting back into... Where are they performing at? The, uh, new, the new Techport Arena. Oh, okay. Uh, so, yeah. I General Hudnell. I saw them at the Windstar. Really? <laughs> yes, I saw them at the Windstar up there north of Dallas. I saw them, golly, where were they? Back in 1994. I saw them, and it's so funny that we're talking about this, because my wife's best friend, we went to happy hour. We had way too many margaritas on Friday night, and we were talking about Boys to Men because about the concert that we bought tickets to. And I was like, man, I went to this concert in 94, and they played they played basketball before the concert. They had a charity basketball tournament. It was mm-hmm. them. Uh, Montel Jordan, 6'8", he stood, was out there oh, also. Wow. And uh, my wife's best friend was like, dude, that was a small venue with only a couple hundred people. I was there too. And it was so great. But uh, no, Montel Jordan, the funniest concert I ever went to because he's great. Mm-hmm. Okay, get it on tonight. It's a great song. It's better than it this. Is. How, you, how you do it. I agree. But uh, he sang, this is how you do it, or well, this is how we do it. The first song, it was the third song, and it was also his closer and uh yeah he gave the crowd what he what they wanted so. yeah they have to do that i think i think when you have a signature you, he's not a one-hit wonder he actually does have more content yeah. than that but when that's when that's what you're known for that's what puts you on the map sometimes you have no way like i saw vanilla ice in concert obviously yeah. i didn't go to see him i went to go see like young mc and africa bombada and all the other artists that were there in addition to this montage of early 90s rap artists and everybody obviously wanted to hear him see do the ice ice baby thing. Did and he did he sing it normal or did he sing it heavy with, metal with, style? No, he what he did is he beat us over the head with his new content first. Yeah. And and people were not having it. Then somewhere in the middle, he went and did the traditional doom 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 doom. After he did Ice Ice Baby, the whole as he as what made him famous. It was a mass exodus. Like people left, and then he still had more music that he wanted to do. But that was what everybody came to do hear. Do you believe that Suge Knight held him over the ledge? I absolutely believe that story is true. Yeah. Suge Knight, I, I don't remove anything on that. But listen, if you are listening to the Sunday Sports Grill right now, this is every Sunday from eleven to one, and uh, we definitely on one of the things that makes our show great is you have local on-air talent. But you're also going to get the the national sports news, and we're going to talk about what what people are streaming. A lot of fun. Normally on Sundays during the football season, it's a a fantasy gods, statistics, betting lines, moves for those enthusiasts who go the game within the game. We'll be talking about it. But we also like to talk about our our local teams as well. The San Antonio Spurs. Obviously, this is the this is where it's at. Um, although you wouldn't know that from our our first hour in the conversation about <laughs> pop removal or bust. But we also talk about our missions. A, a baseball team is great. And Michael, we're not having a game today. Yeah, the San Antonio Missions. By the way, who were absolutely on fire for the month of May, came back home, had a home stand against the Tulsa Drillers last night. About an hour before the game was supposed to start, hour before first pitch, there was a tweet that got released saying that the game was going to be postponed. And there were going to be a lot of fans out there because it was chancla night. <sighs> okay. The first 1,500 fans were going to get San Antonio chanclas. Okay. Oh, and man. they that's what they were going for. But 
they said, according to their tweet, that it, they were forced to get, get shut down because of COVID protocols. Today, San Antonio Missions tweeted out there that it's because players and coaches and managers also got COVID. So the rest of the homestand or the rest of, of this particular series yeah. is, is done. And then Monday, I believe they're off anyway. Uh, so if you're hoping to go to the missions game tonight, um, it's it's a no go. So if, if you already have tickets, go onto Twitter or you can reach out onto their website, and they'll tell you what what you can do to either exchange those tickets or to get a refund. So there's going to be some unhappy people, obviously, about this. Yeah, and... Joe Reinagle of the Blitz. Uh, so what is Joe saying? Oh, he just tweeted out there about an hour ago. Why are they still testing? Seems like a waste. Let's get on with life. Oh, Coming in strong. Oh, hot take. Uh, it was a hot take about six months ago. You know, I mean, at this point, I hate to say that I kind of agree, but I kind of do. Really? Yeah, I mean, I was the guy who who happily wore the mask. I never complained. Right. I didn't, I didn't feel like my rights were being taken away or anything like that. But as time has gone on, the potency of it all has gone away because the, all those different strains are different. True. And, and the first couple of strains were vicious. They killed a lot of people. My uncle passed away from it. You know, I I I knew friends and family members who had friends and 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 coworkers and whatnot who have passed away from it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not trying to make light of it because when it right. first came out, that first two strains was just deadly. Yes, and it killed nearly a million Americans. Can you believe that? We live in a in a, in a in a life where we had a pandemic that killed a million Americans. But you go on, and this latest strain is just. For night, for the vast majority of people, is just basically a very, very bad illness, but not one that's going to be killing most people. Okay, so you know? I I'm going to land on the other side of this pendulum, probably for a, a multiple reasons. But to your point, you're right. We definitely had a loss of life in in some capacity. Most people know someone that mm-hmm. they lost, uh, whether it be friends or family or coworkers or somebody has lost someone. So it, it, it never was something that couldn't be taken as serious, but you're right. There are different strains and we have more people who are vaccinated and you have more people who yeah. have taken the booster shot as well. People who have had it and now moved on beyond it. I'm, I'm a two time COVID, uh, getter and, um, not even sure if I've completely gotten past it. I still believe there's things and changes that I went through that, Probably won't ever be the same. Uh, my taste has never become the same again. I, things taste differently. Um, some things not as prevalent as they used to be. Um, I don't feel as if, you know, the my wind is there. So even when I try to do like light jogs, things that I used to do, even while out of shape, I still could do. But now I feel like it's a little bit more labored. So that being said, here's my take on it. I'm glad that sports organizations are still keeping their COVID protocols to do their part to keep people safe. Um, It is still, when you don't know what strain it's going to be, there's still a risk out there. And I don't think once you start to see something, when you're contact tracing, once you start seeing it spread like this, to me, those should be red flags that shouldn't be ignored. Like, I don't know whatever's happening right now, but all of a sudden we got players, now we got coaches, then eventually would be fans, concession workers, and people go home. Yeah. People go home. And so. there's in in and the number of people who got COVID will never be quantified because the numbers that, that are out there are tested positive. Documented. Documented, right? right? I was sick for a good two weeks earlier this year. Did I have COVID or not? I don't know. I thought it was allergies. Maybe it was COVID. 
All I know is, is that, you know, my family member, who's a, a doctor, I reached out to him and he was like, dude, they're just going to tell you to go home and not go to work. You know, that's just, right. just basically it. Are you vaccinated? Yes. Did you get your booster? Yes. Then just go home and watch some Netflix and get better. Yeah. Drink some fluids, drink a lot of water. And I could do that because again, I did get vaccinated. I did get my booster and it didn't affect me as, as much. It was a pain in the butt. I lost my voice for a good while. If in fact I did have COVID, I assume that I did. Everyone yeah. assumes that. Um, but it's just one of those things where I saved myself a $50 copay by just yeah. resting. So you do you know? think, you think they shouldn't do COVID? I mean, because I think Al Horford missed the game during the NBA, uh, the Eastern conference finals. Yeah, as well. you're right. Um, I, I think that, those days have come and gone. I don't think they should do the tracing anymore. Um, I mean, it's it'd be one thing if it went through a team mm-hmm. and and all that stuff, but honestly, I think you know with this particular strain, I'm not that that worried about it. And it's it's not 2019, it's not 2020. You know, a lot of a lot of us, as you said, are are vaccinated. Yeah. You know, I don't want to say move on with life, but that's exactly what Ryan Engel said. So I kind of feel the same way. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, and everybody's entitled to their opinion on that, but I, I think the whole goal of moving on life sometimes means you need to take precautions to preserve life. Yeah, I um, did my part. I got yeah, vaccinated, and and and, that, and that's the point. Like, I, I went to go see Top Gun yesterday mm-hmm. in the movie theater, and uh, for whatever reason, you know, we try to pick the seats and that were where there's still open seats around us. We still try to Caroline and I try to. Uh, my fiance, we try to preserve like a little, a little space, a little, a little ice, distance. Yeah, yeah, a little six foot if we can. And there was this guy behind us that was just coughing, <laughs> and, and 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 there was just no way around it. And we look at each other like, oh my god, when is this going to end? It's like a, a nonstop coughing going on. And I slowly just pulled my little mask out of my pocket and put it on. And that goes back to that. I didn't want everybody to be masked up. I didn't want everybody to have to do all those things. I just took upon myself. To knowing that I was taking voluntary risk by being out socially, and I felt in that position, I'm gonna put a mask. And on. by the way, there are also people who have compromised autoimmune autoimmune and, yep. issues, and 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 that that's a different story. True, you do you, right? You do you, and you know what? Restaurants and businesses should also understand that if someone says, "Hey, I have a bad system," yeah, you know, I I, I am I am susceptible to a lot of things if I get sick. Uh, Respect them. Yes. Because if you want to be respected, you have to respect others too. Agreed. Now, you were at the Top Gun Maverick. Where did you watch it? Uh, I saw it at the quarry. The quarry? Yes. Okay, you and I relatively live in the same area. I normally go to Casablanca. No, Flicks, baby. I haven't been to Flicks. On Patranco in 1604? Yeah, I haven't been to Flicks. Dude, Flicks, like, I mean, Casablanca's fine. I love me some some Santicos. Yeah, I I do Casablanca and and Palladium are my two main ones that I go to. I go to Silverado a lot because my father-in-law lives in that area, and whenever we go meet him for movies, we go to Silverado. Which is why I ended up at the quarry, because my mother lives in Cibolo, so it's kind of like an in-between from where I've got to drive. Dude, I will only watch movies at Flicks if I have to. Is this a smaller theater, more intimate, or what? No one knows it's there. I don't know where. Where is this at? It's okay, by Mods Pizza. Where is this? Yeah, you, Dove Creek. Okay, I've seen it. Yes. Okay, okay, but it's it's hidden in the trees. You, if you drove by on sixteen oh four, there's no signage. It's like no one knows it's there. How are they still open? I don't know. But they only have fifty people per state per per theater, and it's huge seats that recline all the way back. Okay. So even if someone's sitting right next to you, they're still six to eight feet away from I'm you. Sold on the whole idea of that concept. But man. That was a great movie. It, do we have time? We, have, we have two minutes left in the segment. I, I love Top Gun. I love the original. 
I didn't know what to expect. I had heard people rave about it, but I just didn't know they delivered. They delivered with, uh, with, with new story, new characters. I, I am not spoiled. So no people don't turn the channel. Don't, don't turn the dial. Yeah. Okay. I feel like Top Gun did a great job. I want to see it again. It's funny because people are like, oh, it can't be that good. 99% people watching it saying that they like it. 97% of Rotten Tomatoes. You go over there and from the very beginning, it gets you to the very, very, very end. Now, were some parts hokey? Sure. Yes. Okay. They put some Hollywood on it. They put some Hollywood on it, but it moved it along. And I would say that it's basically in the same vein as people who enjoy Creed because of how it was able to branch off from Rocky. Yeah. To some extent, I know it's more of a teenager type of thing, Cobra Kai, mm-hmm. it going going True. away and being rebooted from Karate Kid. Yes. This one's different because it's in the same vein as and they did it very, very well, but it was the perfect percentages of nostalgic, moving forward, new cast, Tom Cruise. It wasn't weighted too heavily more than the other. Great surrounding cast. John Hamm was there. My wife saw John Hamm. She has a thing for him. Mm-hmm. You know, remember him from Mad Men? Yes. So he was in the movie. Uh, you know, you have uh, Miles Teller, who's amazing. Yes. Um, it was such a good movie. And I'm going to go back and watch it a second and third time because I showed my daughter Top Gun 86 the other day. Uh-huh. And she like it? She gave it a C plus. Mm. Yeah. She says that Maverick back then was not uh, a catch. Oh, okay. I mean, he was a pilot and all, but he was basically... Well, Iceman was pretty badass, though. Yes. And she was like, you know what? She was like, Iceman, why is he, quote unquote, the villain when everything he said was correct? Well, this is, this goes back to the whole Cobra Kai thing. When you start to delve into these characters, they make it very linear, but there's more depth to it to where you realize that maybe Ralph Macchio wasn't yeah. the good guy. Maybe LaRusso was a jerk. Yeah. I mean, maybe... Maybe he uh, didn't give uh, Johnny Lawrence enough space. Maybe he had that ass kicking coming to him. <laughs> <laughs> but spe- but uh, speaking of ass kickings, uh, Rafael Nadal ah at the French Open opened up a tennis ball can of whoop ass. This is his. This is his major right here. Yeah, let's talk about this on the other side. Is he the goat? Is it official now? Did he spike the ball in the end zone? This mm. is the Sunday Sports Grill on San Antonio Sports Star now. On 94.1 FM. Celtics, Warriors, Game 2 of the NBA Finals. Tonight at 6, San Antonio Sports Star. ESPN AM 1250 and 94.1 FM. What you know about this? Quinn's going to come over and slap me on the face. Summer, summer, summertime. There it is. That's right there. Edwin bringing us in right in the summertime. <laughs> Welcome to Sunday Sports Grill. I'm Quinn Hudson here with Michael Jimenez. We're sitting in today, and we've been talking about the NBA Finals. We've been talking about the Spurs. The We're, we're, we're all over the place. We talked about Top Gun last segment. This is what we do on the Sunday Sports Grill. You mentioned before we went to break, Michael. You were talking about Nadal and what he did today. Yeah, so Rafael Nadal did it again. Number 14, won his mm. 14th French Open title. Wasn't even close. 6-3, 6-3, 6-love. Just dominated. 
And again, the conversation comes up. Is he the GOAT when it comes to men's tennis? Because for so long, we've been thinking that it's Roger Federer. And then we have Novak Djokovic. Yes. And now Nadal comes out here and and is like, hey, I took the, the record now belongs to me. And now he has two more than Nadal. I mean, he has two more than the the Djokovic and Federer. And Federer's 40. He's not going to win anymore. No. He's done. Yep. So it's Djokovic and Nadal standing, and they're both 35 years old, and they're still the two best players in all of tennis. I think that rivalry doesn't get enough due, that they're basically in their prime, in greatness, and we're literally seeing the... We're seeing Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier mm-hmm. going at it. We're we're seeing it in their prime um, of what's going on. I do think Nadal has the advantage simply because he's better on clay. Well, yes. I mean, and, and that's the knock on him. It's like, well, 14 of his have been on clay. Yes. Because clay is kind of a specialized thing that European players do better than most. But the fact of the matter is that he won the U.S. Open four times. That's on hard court. Mm-hmm. He won Wimbledon twice on grass. And he won the Australian Open twice, hard court as well. So it's not like he can't do it elsewhere. Right. You know, and, and that's the thing is that my respect for him has gone up tremendously over the past couple of years because he has won each major at least twice. Now, if you want to look at, like, who is a little bit more, um, I guess you could say, widespread as far as where the success comes from that Mm -hmm. would be Djokovic because Roger Federer wins a lot on grass that is his thing he's won you know a ton of Wimbledon's but if you take a look at Novak Djokovic and what he's been able to accomplish he won the French Open twice the U.S. Open three times he won Wimbledon six times Mm -hmm. then goes off and wins the Australian Open one two three four that'd be nine times amazing it is great you know and and we are Right now, if you take a look at it, those three guys have basically won 85, 90% of Grand Slam finals since like 2003. Right. It's been this huge run because if you think about it, Djokovic and Nadal have been here for, they've been professionals for 17 years. They've been waiting from the get-go. Right. We're coming up on two decades. Yeah. I mean. Tiger never had an adversary like that. He never had a true rival like that where they were putting up the same numbers that were comparable to his. Now, Nadal got into the semifinals because his opponent got injured. Nadal won 7-6 in the first set, was down 6-5 in the second set, and his opponent went down with this ugly injury. They had to wheelchair him off the off the court. Mm. Uh, goes into the finals and just spanks rude. And uh, on the women's side, Coco Goff, uh, she got spanked herself, and she lost big time. Yeah, she but she con- lost to the number one player in the world. Yeah, she's continuing to get better, and looking for her to emerge and take the next step, and and to get to this point. But she's definitely I was playing against tough competition. Is going through that. Do you feel like with with Nadal and Joke and Djokovic? Do you feel like we're at a point where we have to wait till their body of work completes? I think to so. truly know who is the greatest of all time. I think so. I think that uh, Federer is no longer in the conversation. Agreed. And a lot of people do not want to hear that because Federer has, it it reminds me of like, why is it that people think that Jordan is the greatest NBA player of all time? When, I mean, come on, man, it's probably Kareem. You have no argument for me. But the thing about it is, is that Kareem did not get along with the media, did not get that media love or that media bias. He didn't play the game. He didn't play the game. And because of that, 
people don't even consider Kareem to be in the top five. Which is insane. It's insane. His body of work is number one. Easily number one. But you take a look at men's tennis. Federer played the game. He was somebody who was well-liked by the media. Yes. You know, he smiled. He did his advertisements. Approachable. Approachable. He seemed like the every guy. The whole thing about is, you know, who would you want to have a beer with? Djokovic came out. Now, his nickname is Joker, partly because of his name, but also because he was kind of a prankster. He was rude to his opponents. He Mm. was rude to the media. And it hasn't been until just recently that he's been a little bit more nicer to the media. But then the whole COVID thing came out. And he spoke out against that. Right. And then that's another controversy within himself. Nadal was kind of like the one that you just, he's the continental guy. He's the guy that wore the capris. He's the guy. The man pries, yes. Yes, he was the guy that, you know, he, he there was no way that you could identify with him. He wore because pink. He wore light blue. He wore different colors. Very was pastels. Like it, was, yes. it, was, it was Easter Sunday. Yes. Every, every championship day for him. Tiger had his red. Yes. Nadal had his pastels. Yes, he did. (laughs) He absolutely did. But, I mean, scoreboard. Now, if he had not won these other majors just once or just hadn't won them twice, I couldn't consider him that. But when he went off and he won the Australian a second time and he went off and won Wimbledon a second time, it became more of a, uh, you know. Got to take this guy seriously. Yeah, a a lot more seriously. And when it's all said and done, I mean, the winner is probably going to be at about 24, 25 grand slams. Absolutely amazing. Hey, by the way, you're a tennis player. Have you ever played on clay? Never have. No, I have friends who have. But yeah, I, I never have. I went to, uh, it was a sales conference in Boca Raton. And at the resort that we were at for the sales conference, they had clay tennis courts. So a buddy of mine went out there. It was like, we're just going to go out there and just, just ground stroke them. Clay is no joke, man. Just the subtleties of your balance and your core and the way your weight shifts, it's not an easy thing. Yeah, the ball doesn't bounce as high. No, it doesn't. And and it's funny because I I think people don't understand. Like, it's one of those things where when it comes to various sports that you don't follow tremendously, whether it be Formula One versus NASCAR, Mm -hmm. right? That's one thing. When you take a look at tennis, it's different. The surfaces react differently. When you play on clay, the ball doesn't bounce as high. And you can't turn on a dime. You have to slide to stop and then move on in. It's a difficult surface. Grass is fast. If you have a fast serve, yes. you're going to win on grass. Hard court, we're used to hard court because we live in Texas. Right. And whenever we go and play over at whatever school or whatnot, that's right. a hard court. So we're familiar with that. That's an American thing mostly. True. Uh, but it's it's amazing how these all how these all go. But Nadal, to show that he can actually do multiple Types of, of, of fields and surfaces. Yes. Absolutely amazing. Djokovic has been able to do the same. Yeah. And it, and it it shows that you have to have, to to have that sustained greatness, you have to have a mix of power, finesse, agility. Um, these guys show a few a great range in their, in their tennis acumen. And I think that's what's been great in watching them in real time. And I, I don't think we truly appreciate it until they are done. When people will look back and go, wow, these guys were doing this for like 20 years and they were, re- they were relevant and they were continuing to win until they weren't winning. And, and, and I don't know if anybody will match that, that success over time in the future. And Federer only won the French open once back in 2009. So the career slam, he's only done it once. Nadal and Djokovic have done it twice. 
Oh, man. But what I'm excited about, though, on the women's side, you know, Serena is out the door. She's on the 18th hole of her career. Yes. Okay. But to see Coco Goff and Naomi Osaka and all these young American players who are doing better, that's great because we don't really have that on the men's side. You think Serena's got one more in there? No. Tiger? No. So we're we're really watching icons uh, fading into the sunset now. But in four years, Tiger Woods can join the senior tour and be in a cart. Oh, my God. That's oh. going to be some viewing right so there. So that's where you're seeing it. You're seeing yeah. how he's there's, there's, so you're saying there's a chance. You're saying there's a chance. He doesn't have to walk the course anymore. <laughs> he can just simply get in the cart, swing, yeah. get in the cart, swing. That's going to be amazing. And I think that's the reason why a lot of golfers can extend their careers because of that very reason. The, the, the way that golf does that makes that a, a availability to them to be able to do that. Very, very true. Very All right, man. Listen, so we we got some more things to talk about. We got the in, in, NBA Finals coming up, Game 2. We're going to preview that. I got to talk to you about your Cowboys and about my Saints. Are we going to talk about the Saints? Man, we've got... Uh, I want to talk about Deshaun Watson, too. There you go. Let's do we, it. Let's talk about Deshaun Watson because, man, this week here, I got something to say, man. You're listening to the Sunday Sports Grill on ESPN 94.1 on the go at ESPN Sportsstar.com. This is Rob Thompson on your home for the NBA playoffs. San Antonio Sports Star, ESPN AM 1250 and 94.1 FM. I don't know how many men are out there now that have had a massage that perhaps occasionally there was a happy ending. All right? Maybe there's nobody in your listening audience that that ever happened to. I do want to point out, if it has happened, it's not a crime. Okay? Unless... You are paying somebody extra or so to give you some type of sexual activity. It's not a crime. Wow. That is Deshaun Watson's attorney, Rusty Harden, coming in strong. I'd say that was a hot take. That was a complete hot take. Wow. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, In addition to the fact of the selection of Deshaun Watson to think that this would be the voice or the messaging that he'd want to put out as a part of his PR campaign as he moves forward with the upcoming NFL uh, football season with the Cleveland Browns. I'm stunned by what was said in this, this yes. interview. Yes, and this interview was done on 610, Radio 610 in Houston. And I cannot believe that this is the legal argument that he's going to use, that these massage therapists were just happy to do this for free. Happy to be grabbed or happy to be groped or propositioned or happy to have him drop his clothes. Now, this all started, by the way. Keep in mind, there are 22 massage therapists who have all accused Deshaun Watson of something inappropriate. Right. Watson comes back and says that anything that was done, especially if it was physical, was consensual. Okay. Uh, This past week on HBO Real Sports, there was two of the people who have accused Watson appeared and basically gave their story. And after that, we now have two, a 23rd and a 24th accuser coming out. Now there's been no criminal charges. Grand jury came back with nothing. Right. All we know is, is that there are 24 women who are all massage therapists who accuse Deshaun Watson of being a scumbag. That's basically what we have here. Right. 
And the other thing that came out out of this whole interview that Rusty Harden gave was that Cleveland Browns was not his number one choice, that they had it all ready for him to go to Miami, that they had it all tied up and we're going to have some sort of deal be made with all of these women. And two of them backed out. And because of that, it kind of just lingered. Miami backed out. Cleveland came in and said, we'll take this headache. And they gave up the farm for Deshaun Watson. A lot of this is going to fall on on Commissioner of the NFL, Roger Goodell. I believe that the NFL has taken a very curious uh, uh, stance in the background and allowing this um, to continue at this point where you essentially are having Deshaun Watson move forward mm-hmm. with his next opportunity in his career path, um, all while not addressing the NFL code of conduct policy that that's in the the elephant in the room. The Cleveland the Cleveland Browns have already been kind of exposed at the mere fact that they didn't even speak to all of the women that have these uh, alleged incidents with Deshaun Watson, although they came out and said, we've done our thorough investigation internally and we've gone through all and we've done our due diligence in making the decision to bring Deshaun Watson. I want to go back to that Rusty Harden quote there. Okay. Mm -hmm. He discussed happy endings. He basically told the world that his client's guilty. That something happened. That is called prostitution if you're trying to pay somebody for sexual favors. True. That's what it is. And, again, maybe some of it happened to some of the therapists. Maybe some of them did take part in it. But it sounds like the vast majority of them didn't. Yeah, and, it's, and Michael, this is the thing, right? I, I, and we're we're not going to try this case. Um, no, and you can I'm going to try. And, and he's p- guilty of being a scumbag. <laughs> he's okay. guilty of being scum. You'll never you'll never confuse me with being I'm a Deshaun girl, Watson apologist, dad, baby. I'm yeah, a girl dad, as am I. And let me tell you, when you look at the, the the moves, the way Deshaun Watson has has done this, if you go and read the cases, and all the women are not saying the exact same thing, they they all have different accounts of what they experienced from him and it wouldn't matter if a woman was your nurse your dentist your hairstylist the things that these women said that he did basically just kind of arbitrarily seize the opportunity in front of the woman to see how she would respond is inexcusable that alone with the code of conduct shows that he should have been he should be disciplined world-class athlete with every trained massage therapist at his disposal within the Houston Texans organization right is trolling Instagram the Craigslist of the world going off and driving an hour hour and a half out of his way one way for a massage really there's red flags everywhere complete red flags there are and 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 then the whole he said she said listen uh, Michael th- let's just pretend let's take let's take let's take women out of this situation or even the 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 accusations let's just say you and I or in an elevator, and I've got a bone to pick with you. And in this elevator, I decide to just dog cuss you and talk about you and say things to you and verbally assault you. And then you come out and you go to our bosses and say, hey, uh, Quinn said some horrible things to me. And I said, no, I didn't. Right? right. Now, the fact that you say I did and I said and I can't prove and you can't prove that I said it doesn't mean it didn't happen. But if 24 other people or 23 other people come up and say that the same thing happened. That's right. Then you either ha- you either believe that one person's telling the truth 
or that 24 people are lying. I mean, I did the math on halftime earlier this week. I said, okay, let's say for those who say that that he's innocent or he did nothing wrong, mm-hmm. if 80% of these women are in it for cash, that means five, maybe six of them are telling the truth. And if only one is telling the truth. It's bad. It's horrible. Absolutely. But the, but the thing is, is that there is strength in numbers. And that's the one thing about this whole thing. And, and, and one thing that I hope that people learn out of all this is that when it comes to this type of charge, assault, and God forbid, when it comes to things like sexual assault, rape, and all that stuff, right. it's very, very, very difficult to prosecute. And it, it, it takes one person to come forward for somebody else to come out and suddenly say, it happened to me. And another person to come out and say it happened to me, Bill Cosby. Yes. You know, uh, Epstein. You take a look at all of these different people who feared for themselves. They feared for their careers. They feared for their livelihoods. And some and one of the accusers came out and said that Watson threatened her career without actually threatening her career with vague comments like, you know, if you say something to anybody about this. I hate for something to happen to your career and see, and that's the point that I think gets lost in it. Oftentimes people don't realize that when women um, or people in general face these type of, of of being violated in this manner, that it's a person that often they know or familiar with or a person that's in power. And when a person is in power or has authority over that person, they absolutely um, are being opportunistic and predatory in that manner, knowing that they have the upper hand. And then these people have to make career decisions. They have to make opportunity of, of risking um, humiliation, guilt, um, th- that type of vulnerability. So it opens up another whole door of when that person's in power knows that advantage they have. Dude, on that ES, that uh, HBO Real Sports uh, interview, one of them coming out and saying, I was so excited to tell my dad that Deshaun Watson had reached out to me and, and how he was so excited for her practice because maybe she could advertise off of that and how, you know, he wasn't reaching out to people. He wasn't reaching out to escorts. He was reaching out to professionals like they are professional massage therapists. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've gotten a massage. You've gotten massages, yes. right? But I'm sure we go to reputable places for that. And that's True. where he was going. Right. So the dude's a scumbag. And as far as what's going to happen to him, I think it's going to be a full season. Really? I think it'll be a full season. Do you think now, see, this is the part I kind of believe that the NFL has already had conversations with the Cleveland Browns. Do you think the Cleveland Browns made these moves without anticipating what that punishment would be? They, they structured the contract as such. Because he only counts a million against the cap in his first year. Wow. They know. So they already know what's coming. They know. It's going to be a minimum eight-game suspension in my eyes. But a full 17-game is probably what it's going to be. And at that point, he's going to be, what, two, two and a half years removed from playing NFL ball? It's crazy. Absolutely insane. Well, I don't know. So do you make a move with Baker Mayfield? You know what? Why would Baker want to make it onto that field again? Why would he want With to play that for that team? Yeah. yeah. They gave up on him. They let him hang out to dry. Why would Baker Mayfield want to suit up for the Browns? I, If I was him, I wouldn't. You know, Jeopardize your career. They're not offering you any money. You're going to go out there and be like Danny Green getting hurt for the Sixers mm. in the playoffs? Danny Green's not going to make any money next year. 
Yeah. Cleveland Browns had basically put, they'd gone all in on a, a huge risk with Deshaun Watson. And they gave up a lot of draft capital. A lot. And they're going to have to look back at their fans and say, this is our guy. You Even know, after the this suspension. Is, this is our guy. Yeah. This is our guy. Yeah. I mean, so tone deaf, but that's what shows that there are only certain number of people who can actually lead and be elite at the quarterback position in the NFL. And he happens to be one of the 15 people in the world who can do what he does. Demonstrating that if you have talent, there's going to likely be some consideration to try to make that work. Most definitely. Most definitely. But speaking of talent, do the Dallas Cowboys have enough talent to go far this year? We've gone this far. We've been talking for an hour and 45 minutes. Just 15 minutes left in the show. Oh, yeah. When we come back, we need to talk about this. Is it the Cowboys year? Because every year you've been saying yes. It's been a long, long, long time since that's been true. We're going to break it down. Piss off Quinn on the other side. This is the Sunday Sports Grill on San Antonio Sports Tower. Now on 94.1 FM. Game two of the NBA Finals, Celtics, Warriors, tonight at 6, San Antonio Sports Star, ESPN AM 1250 and 94.1 FM. We're in the Sunday segment. Down the stretch we come, Michael. Sunday Sports Grill, baby. I'm back home. This is where I started. This is it, man. Bobby Brown is back with new edition, y'all. That's right. Just for this, just for this tour dates. That's and, it. And you know, I love just getting under your skin when it comes to the Cowboys. I know you do. Your Dallas Cowboys with no Amari Cooper. Your Dallas Cowboys with no Cedric Wilson. Your Dallas Cowboys with no was it Randy Gregory took off also? Yes. So uh how you feeling coming into the start of training camp in a few weeks. I think this is going to be great because I think the the one thing that the Cowboys were lacking last season was the continuity of the offensive line, both with talent and health. And I believe they addressed that this year. And I believe that is going to improve our running game, the protection of Dak Prescott. Dak does not need to have an elite number one receiver. That's not the type of quarterback he is. He's going to make in basketball. We say make the basketball play. He's going to make the football throw. That's what that's what Dak does. So I look for CeeDee Lamb's emergence this season. Mm-hmm. I look for the running game to have a little more consistency. I look for more to have a better play calling because he trusts what the front the front five in front of Dak is going to be. So I'm excited about this year. Now C D magically says that he's a half inch taller. He is now six foot two. Says he's also gained about ten pounds in muscle, ready to be wide receiver one. You don't think Dak needs a wide receiver one? Because I, I, I do. How is it that Dak Prescott can't force the ball into somebody? I mean, you know that Stafford's going to throw the ball to Cooper Cup. Everybody knows. This is true. And you're going to double team him. And, and Dak is there going, I, I just couldn't get it into CD. I just couldn't get it into Amari. I, I never understood that. Well, this is the thing about Dak. And That's I, why he's not elite. Well, and you know what? I'm not going to argue that. I, I won't say that. I will say I will put Dak in the second tier of quarterbacks. I do not put him in there with, with Mahomes, mm-hmm. Brady, Aaron Rodgers. I don't put him there. He's the uh, top half of second tier. Yes, that's where I would put him. And so I think he's efficient. He definitely is a leader on the offensive team. He mm-hmm. can definitely lead you to a championship. But he does not throw receivers open. Okay, he does not throw receive. He throws two open receivers, and there's a difference in that. And I think the re- the quarterbacks who have that next level 
um, ability to throw people open means they can throw into windows where they know the receiver is going to be in double coverage and tight coverage and, and smaller windows. Dak does not do that. Dak looks away and, and assumes that receiver is not open. So you buy into the fact that Dak needs to have everything fall into place. That if everything falls into place, he will take you there. Yes. And that's what he is. And Dak Prescott is probably what? I, I would say out of the 32 quarterbacks out there, I'd probably rank him around eight or nine. That's not bad. It's, it's not good. Bad. It's good enough to win a Super Bowl, but certain things need to fall into place. The weather needs to be a certain way. The They had to be fully healthy. Yep. Offensive line needs to be in, in check, and everything needs to go. But if one of those things comes up, it's just not going to happen. Some quarterbacks do not do well, bode well with extending plays and when the when things break down, um, when the coverage uh, or blitz or different things. Dak is one of those quarterbacks. He does not bode well when things break down. He does not extend plays to make greater plays. When you look at him throw the deep ball, oftentimes it's a pre-snap read where he sees already that the, it's single coverage over the top, and he's going to just throw it. He drops back and just lets it heave. It's not like Aaron Rodgers, like, oh, they got my, they got my underneath. He's, uh, I see the safety move down. Oh, I'm going to give him a shoulder fake, and now I'm heaving at 50 yards, which wasn't even the play. Mm-hmm. Um, Dak's not that guy. Now, I would kill to have Dak Prescott as the quarterback of my team. Because I don't know, I'm a, I'm a Saints fan. You've got the talent around him. So, got the talent around him. You know, we've got uh, Jarvis Landry was signed by the Saints. At, uh, he might be wide receiver one, he might be wide receiver two. Depends if Mike Thomas ever shows up. Uh, you've got Chris Olave, who was a stud receiver, yes. first rounder. They moved up in the first round to get him out of Ohio State. And uh, Alvin Kamara is an amazing player. So, they've got, they, they're moving Taysom Hill back to tight end. You know, so they have a lot of different things going on. The it's just whether or not Jameis Winston is going to grow into something. Now, Jameis, I saw somebody, I read a story that somebody bet a lot of money that Jameis was going to lead the league in yards thrown this year. Got me kind of excited because that guy got massive Why? odds. Why? Jameis has thrown for over 5,000 yards in a single season before. His okay. last year at Tampa Bay, more than 5,000 yards thrown in a 16-game season. Now, he had 33 touchdowns, also had 30 interceptions. Someone was going to come down with the ball. But you're forgetting what what Jameis Winston looked like before injury under Sean Payton. Everybody else, Bridgewater, he made everybody else look good. and But Jameis Winston, he did not trust. I went to a game last year at the Superdome against the Giants. They were making Jameis dink the ball, right? Doesn't just, that just, speak just, on trust just, or and, lack thereof? And, and then the one time that he was able to just... just cannon it downfield 60 yards for a touchdown and we were all looking at each other like let him throw man let him sling it let the gunslinger sling and he and peyton refused to do it man and it's he was holding him back a little bit and i think it's lack of trust or whether or not uh winston has the ability to think decision making the the, the, yeah the decision making because he gets fixated on a receiver you know, and he trusts his arm strength. He tr- yes, he trusts himself way too much. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, this is somebody that I had a hard time cheering for when he was in college. Understandably so. And he was kind of a very immature person. He goes to the Saints. He learns under Drew Brees, and he humbles himself. And he seems to be a lot more mature than what he was three or four years ago. Just let the guy throw, because if they're going to have Olave, Thomas, and Jarvis Landry out there. And Taysom Hill running routes, that says to me, new coach, new coaching staff, they're going to sling it. 
Well, they've got the talent around them, so it's going to be interesting to see where they do it, but they will not bode well. They will not finish ahead of my Dallas Cowboys. Well, of course, because they play in a better division than the Dallas Cowboys. Although I am looking at the Eagles right now. The Eagles look tasty. Yeah, the Eagles did make some moves. <laughs> they made some moves. They're not running it back. I mean, if if Hertz could actually be a decent quarterback, not a great quarterback, if he can be the 15th best quarterback in the NFL, the Eagles will win that division. It's going to be Dallas and the Rams in the NFC Championship and the Cowboys in the Super Bowl. Oh, my God. Book it, baby. It's been a long time. It has been, Michael. Man, Boys to Men was number one on the charts back when the Cowboys were relevant. Hey, Bobby, thanks for coming back to the new edition, man, for one more show. <laughs> Cool it now. That's it, man. We appreciate y'all listening to the Sunday Sports Grill on 94.1, baby. That's right. R&R in the morning. Tomorrow at 7 a.m., Rob and Rudy. Go Warriors.